tell I have something to preach this morning, and I'm not waiting for introductions uh, to get up here. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and find Acts chapter 27 this morning. Acts chapter 27, we're going to look at 12 verses this morning. When we think about the Acts of the Apostles, when we think about action in the life of the church, this is the book that you turn to. I ask that this morning you be in prayer. There are several that are battling sickness. There are some preparing to travel for surgery. Tony and Eileen Siervo left for California for the bone marrow transplant plant for their, uh, their son, Anthony. Uh, the match was by their other son. And so they've got to travel across, across country to do that. Also keep in prayer, uh, Katie Mitchell. Um, we are, she is preparing to go to, I believe it's New York, uh, so that is coming up. Please keep these folks in prayer for Gary Driggers. And many of you are going through a lot of different things. It's that time and season. Okay, listen, if you're worth your weight in salt at all, the enemy will always come after you. Now, that doesn't mean that you just think, well, I'll just lay low and fly under the radar and, and the devil won't notice me. Okay, that doesn't happen. I mean, if you are a born-again believer in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, you have the seal of God on you. And so there should be action that follows a life of a believer. And so here in Acts chapter 27, um, I've titled this morning's message, If God Loves Me, Why the Storms? I mean, many of you think that, well, if God loves me and I go to church and I'm faithful in those areas, well, gosh, why do you let those things happen to me? Well, recently, we just came through a hurricane, Matthew, and we know what that means in Florida. Anytime those warnings start, we start off the coast of Africa and we start watching those things, where they go and how they move and operate. But I've often wondered this, that when Matthew came through, how many of you turned to the gospel and prayer as much as you turned to the news to see where the hurricane was? How many times did you pull up your phone, track it, look at the swirling winds and the rains, and did you give equal time to God? You see, God says, don't look at the storms of life, look at me. That's what he says. Don't look at the storms of your life. Why are you looking at the storms? All you're going to do is sink. The only one that can confidently sustain you and maintain you is wrapped up in the name of one person, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 27. We're going to read out of the New King James Version. If you'll pull that scripture up this morning. I want to read through here. Now, I don't want to start in the first, in chapter 21, that's 27, those first seven or eight verses kind of sets the tone there. But I want to start, if we could, in verse 9. So if you can kind of scroll down to verse 9, they can follow along there. Now, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, there was a fast going on in the land, Paul advised them. Here's what he said. Men, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Now listen, stop right there. Who wants to go on a trip when they say, I perceive, guys, that this will end in disaster? And secondly, who wants to hang around with that guy? Yeah, right? Paul's stepping on this boat. He's in chains. 
He's a prisoner, one of about 200 and some different prisoners that are on this boat, right? And if you ever had a schleprock in your life, wowsy, wowsy, wow, if you watch the Flintstones, that's exactly what's happening here. Well, let's see what happens. All right. Men, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives, you happy camper. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things that were spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest, northwest, and winter there. And it's gone. There it is. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained a desire putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called, there's that name, Euroclidon. You use it every day, right? So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. That means she drifted. And running under the shelter of an island called Clotta, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Now I'm going to stop right there this morning. And, and so I've set the tone a little bit about the storms. Now that, that's how they got around, okay? They didn't have automobiles. All right, they, they didn't have uh, the monorail. They didn't have railroad trains. And so if you were gonna go anywhere, you literally had to get in a boat and travel. I don't know how they did that. Some of you couldn't get one day without your GPS. Some of you are going cross town and you've gotta put the GPS in just to go get a pizza. These people sailed all over the world. They didn't have half of what you guys have today or what we have today and did quite well. They really did. But the Bible teaches us a couple things here. There's three types of storms that happen in everybody's life. Did you know that? There's three types of storms. There are the storms that we bring on ourselves like Samson. Listen, I'm gonna tell you the truth. The number one person that brings storms into your life is you. And Samson brought that on himself. You can read that at another time. Secondly, storms that God causes, like on the Sea of Galilee. There was a mighty tempest that rose up. But it was all for God's glory because we know that Christ came walking out on the Sea of Galilee, middle of the night, with his glow stick, Filled with Everettis. You're a real tough crowd this morning. I can see that. So storms that we bring on ourselves, storms that God causes, and finally, storms that other people cause. Three types. Some of you may have already thought, well, listen, I've experienced a couple of those, if not all three of those from time to time in my life. Well, which one are you in? Are you in a storm this morning that you caused? Are you in a storm this morning that God caused? Or are you in a storm this morning that other people may have caused, like when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison? 
I mean, folks, I'm going to be real blunt this morning. You can be doing everything that you know is right to do and still find a storm on your radar screen. You can be faithfully attending God's house for worship every Sunday, every time the doors are open, and still experience a storm on your radar screen. You can be faithfully tithing to God. You can be doing everything in the servanthood of Christ, in the body of Christ, and still have a storm on the radar screen. So what does that say? Very simply, storms are inevitable in your life. Storms are inevitable in your life. So how do we stay calm and how do we maintain our confidence and courage regardless of what happens? How do we do that? Listen, financial collapses, health issues, right? Relationship issues, children issues, I mean, morality in the nation issues, storms are always going to be prevalent in our world. I love what God said through Job, as sparks fly upward, man is born into trouble. And so I ask you this morning, what storm are you experiencing? Did you cause this storm? Is it a storm that God brought into your life? Or is it externally caused by some other people? Well, let's look at God's word. So God put the apostle Paul as a prisoner on board ship heading from Palestine to Rome. No big deal. After the ship ventured through the Mediterranean Sea and docked at the island of Crete, God told Paul to advise the crew not to leave. Now, I guess they didn't know who he was and what he was about. And certainly, why would you listen to somebody who's in chains? I mean, those guys are crazy, right? If somebody parades down Main Street in Winter Haven and they're parading them 200 and some guys in chains and they're trying to tell you some advice, you're really not going to take that advice, are you? No, you're going to Google. You're going to pull up your answer on your phone. Well, Paul gave some great advice here, and, and nothing's worse than hearing from God and knowing that your doom is imminent and you still have to go. He still had to go. You want somebody to stop. Don't go on that trip. And he still had to go. This isn't going to go well, guys. Right? What a lovely buttercup. But the sailors were impatient to get to a better harbor. They ignored what God had told them through Paul, verses 9 through 12. Now, I want to give you a couple quick thoughts here that I think are important to understand. It was determined by the counsel of God well before the counsel of Festus determined for Paul to go to Rome. It was God-ordained. The course they steered and the place that they touched at is here set down. And God here encourages those, listen, who suffer with him. As goes the leadership of a nation, so goes the people. Folks, we're going to have to go through some stuff because you've seen what we're voting on in our leadership. 
sailors, you and I, sailors must make the best of the wind. And what is the wind blowing in your life? It came out of nowhere. And so we must all in our passage over the ocean of life in this world. When the winds are contrary, we must be getting forward as well as we can. And I love what Winston Churchill said, when going through hell, just simply take one step at a time. Folks, our country's going through hell right now. And we need to keep taking one step at a time. God's providence does not take away the causes that God uses as a means. Let me give you that again. God's providence does not take away the causes that God uses as means, but listen, but rather orders them. God ordered this for his glory. Now, Paul didn't know whether or not he was going to die. He already heard from God. Most of you would have canceled your flight, burn up the tickets, you probably wouldn't have went. But sometimes, listen to me, God has placed destiny in your life. You were not born on this earth to walk through these days flippantly and drifting. God has a purpose and a plan for every single human ever born. The Apostle Paul was certainly a man who knew trouble. And I'm not sure where this shifted in American Christianity where people tend to think just because I'm a Christian, the banks ought to be full, the kids always ought to be healthy, we should never be subject to sickness, and we should never be persecuted for our faith. Folks, that's not in the Bible. Now, you need to get that out of your head, and if you ever see a pastor that's preaching that kind of lifestyle in Christ, run. In fact, the book of Acts reminds us, through many trials and tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. Here's what he says. You're going to go through it. You're going to go through it. To what extent? Only God knows. But mark it down, Christian. You're going to go through it. And so you might as well determine now, how am I going to handle that? How am I going to face that? I mean, people look at pastors and they think, well, you just got a lock on the market. Well, wrong. We just practice what we preach. We go after God as hard as we go after air to breathe. We go after those things that are so important to God. You see, storms are always going to show up on your radar screen. The Apostle Paul was certainly a man acquainted with sudden life changes. And anyone can go back and read that little resume on 2 Corinthians 11.25 where Paul was beaten with rods, pelted with stones, beaten on the bottom of the soles of his feet till he couldn't walk for just simply taking the message that I stand here and preach to you this morning. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says this, Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the trouble we suffered in Asia. We had great burdens that there were beyond our own strength. We even gave up hope of living. 
Truly, in our own hearts, we believed that we would die. But this happened so we could not trust in ourselves, but trust in God who raises the dead. God saved us from these great dangers of death, and he will continue to save us. We have put our faith and our hope in him, and he will revive us again. Paul was saying that they were in such trouble that they had given up on getting out alive or preaching a simple message that I'm preaching here this morning. Listen, Christianity is not for cowards. And being a pastor, the day and time of the sunshine patriot and the summertime soldiers are over. Know where you stand. Know whom you stand for. And as the scriptures say, having done all to stand, stand. Stand. Stand for the things that are right and noble and just and true and righteous and holy and godly in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 4 reminds us in everything we do, we try to show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Folks, it's not if, it's when. Paul was saying that when we patiently endure the hardships and difficulties of life's storms, we prove to God that our faith is real and valid. Folks, a soldier is no good until he's tested. You can train all you want to train. But until the man steps on a battlefield and knows that there are mines and bombs in front of him and prays every step of the way, God, don't let me blow up. God, don't let me blow up. I'll tell you, that's when real faith hits the road. Until you face adversity, until you hear the threats and taunts of the enemy, until you hear the power of darkness across the valley taunting you. You see, giants are very real. They're just differently staged today. Today, the giant is an 11-foot man that David fought. Today, the giants don't come up in battle array, though we'd rather face them. Today, battles and giants are in a number of ways appearing to us. Fear, doubt, insecurity, pride, lust, alcoholism, drugs. You see, the giants today are bigger and stronger than ever. And in this 27th chapter of the book of Acts, we see one of many difficulties. Paul, a soldier of the faith, who modeled this for us. You see, people will say, well, that's Jesus Christ, and he's God, and I'm not, and I can't walk like him, but it's pretty hard to argue when you see the heroes of faith from Genesis to Revelation, and you see and read of their trials and tribulations, and you understand how they've gone on that for us. If you seek the path of least resistance in your Christian walk, what kind of a faith is that? What kind of a soldier is that? I mean, every time in the battle crew, we got one guy in our battalion that wants to go the easy way. We're going over the top of the mountain. We're going into a machine gun nest, and he wants to go around. The battle will be over by then. But churches are full of Christians that really are nothing short of just pansies. 
Paper tigers show up inside of a building because, well, there was just something I had to do this morning. I don't know. But listen, you enter here to worship, but you exit to serve the king. You enter in here to find encouragement. You plug into the outlet. You find the strength of the word of God. Why? So that you may go back this week and make a difference and impact the kingdom of God for the glory of God. You come inside this room today to hear God speak through Acts chapter 27 and understand how Paul helped to get through the storms of life. And then we go back and we model that because, folks, as I told you, storms are always going to show up on your radar screen. Always. He had warned the guards it wasn't safe to sail. There's several questions ultimately that I think we'll ask here today and that you probably have asked in the storms of your life. And they're probably the wrong ones. Because we always ask the wrong ones. What's the first question we always ask? Why? Is it not why? Why this? Why now? Why me? Is it not? It's the first human response. I don't have time for this, God. And the mature Christian learns to say, why not me, why not us, and why not now? You see, that's the faith that God is looking for. That's the Christian man and woman that God desires to embrace whatever it is that God wants me to walk through in life. Whether it's a parent that battles a sickness, it's always going to be something. Who caused this to happen? What will be the result of this happening to me? What does God want me to learn from this difficulty that I'm now going through? How will I respond? How should I react? Am I doing it in a way that pleases God or is it in a way that pleases myself? Well, as I told you a moment ago, the person in the mirror that I see in the morning is the one that causes the most problems in this life. There's always the other people. There's always going to be the devil. But from human perspectives, God can be a cause of difficulty in your life as humans think. But here's what you forgot. It's not about you. Revolutionary, isn't it? It's not about you. It's not about what you want to do here on earth. It's not about what you think God ought to do for you. It's not about your justification of why you're not faithful to God in the areas of your life or why you have this pity party every week with the devil and fallen angels and why you act the way you do and why you live the way you do. It's not about you. Well, then who's it about? If it's not about me. From human perspectives, we often get mad at God because of the difficulties and the sudden things that happen in our lives. Or maybe you've simply been going through something for years. Years you've prayed. 
Years you've petitioned God. Years you've said, God, if you're real, then, and you fill in the blank. When I'm going through a storm in my life, how do I determine the cause? We must pray and seek the face of God to hear the heart of God. But many people don't like that. We don't like God's answers, and we don't like the way God does things. Am I the only one that is honest in this room this morning? We don't like the way God runs the universe. We don't like the way God runs the government. We don't like the way God handles his leadership in churches. We just don't like the way God does much of anything. Except when it comes to salvation. Oh God, save me. The 73rd Psalm has captured the same problem. The psalmist could not understand the problems he was having and why it appeared that the wicked seemed to prosper. You ever said that? You ever know somebody that you know doggone well, they aren't living right, they won't come to church and they don't like God and their business is as corrupt as they come, but they seem to keep getting ahead. Why do they seem to get ahead? The psalmist said in that 73rd chapter, I tried to understand all of this, but it was too hard for me to see. In verse 17, until I went to the temple of God, and then, and then, and then I understood what would happen to them. When you go to church, when you go to church, and I don't know how you all do this, I don't keep track of you. I don't know if you think going twice a month is good or once a month is good. I don't know what you think. I just know what God says. And from as long as I can remember, my wife and I made the commitment to be in the house of the Lord whenever we were able to be in the house of the Lord, except for vacations. It's just a commitment to my father. And yet many Americans today will justify why they don't have to do anything. We do it all the time. But that's why I hate to miss church. And I never lost that. If God had a special message for me in that sermon, I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to miss the message. I wanted to get it. So on the possibility that God might have a word for me, I would show up and receive it. And it didn't matter who was preaching. If I listened with God with the proper heart, then God would give me something. Today, how many times do we judge pastors? How many times do we say, ah, I didn't like that. Oh, I didn't get nothing out of that. In this story, when these guys decided to go ahead and sail, in spite of Paul's warning, he told them not to sail, we're going to die. They made three common mistakes that we all make, and I want to share them with you. Three common mistakes that we all make. You ready for number one? We listen to bad advice. We listen to bad advice. You think I'm kidding? 
track a hurricane and see the spaghetti things that they all say where the storm's going. I love being a weatherman. You don't ever have to be right. You can be somewhat right. You can be 75% right, but you don't have to be right. Now try that for your heart surgeon. Now I might get your little valve open. I don't know. I may not get in there right. I'm a, I don't know. I got a 50-50 chance working on you, Mr. Maynard, that you're going to make it through this. Okay. Next. No, I, I want a surgeon to operate on me. He says, listen, I know exactly what it is. I know where it is. This is what I'm going to do. This is the time it's going to take. You're going to be out about this long. You're going to recover this long. And everything will be rosy and peachy. But somebody who says, look, I don't know. <laughs> Give me a shot at cutting you open. So when it comes to spiritual precision, when it comes to godly action, when it comes to the Holy Ghost instructing, there's your operational manual. But that ain't good enough. Well, preacher, I don't like to read. Well, neither do I. You know what I did? I prayed that God would give me a spirit of reading. If I'm going to be thrust into this where my life is books, you'd better learn to read. You can't get fed enough in these 45 to 55 minutes here. It'd be the equivalent of you eating. Let's all just get, I'm going to bring Andy's burger baskets in for everybody next Sunday. I'm just kidding. But if that's all you ate for the rest of the week, you would have trouble. You would have trouble. See, we listen to bad advice. Watch verse 11. They followed the advice of the pilot, which when I'm on a plane, I'd like to do that. Right? You've heard that old saying, right? It may not be my time, but what if it's the pilot's? God had already said not to do it. Paul warned them, but because the expert said it was okay, they did it. There are a lot of experts in the world. They all have the answer to your problem, or so they want to think they do. And you think I'm kidding? Listen to the opinions of the election. Man, I'm over it, aren't you? One of the verses says, I could offer opinions that might prove untrue, but for the only sure answer, here's what I'll do. I will talk to my father for you. Folks, I don't have all the answers but I can talk to the one who does. I'm going to help y'all out. You can't fix your life. You can't fix your life. Listen, you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow God to begin to fix you, work on you, mold you. After all, Philippians 1.6 says, he began a good work in you and that he will be faithful to complete it. That's what he said. So we listen to bad advice. Number two, we follow the crowd. Right? We follow the crowd. We, we literally are running where everybody's running. I'm looking for additional exits. I'm not running where y'all running. If you fall, then we're all going. I'm just going to look sometimes in the movie theater for additional exits. Because most of the crowd's going to go out the way they came in. Verse 12 says, the majority decided we're sailing. The majority is often wrong. The spies who went out to spy out the land, only two were right. 
and the whole crowd went against him. There are times that you'd better be discerning through the Holy Spirit of God. There are times that you need not to discern the public opinion, but you better find God's opinion. Because the only one that matters is God's opinion. Amen? That's the only one that matters. The majority, oftentimes, biblically, is wrong. The crowds tried to kill Jesus. The crowds said he was blasphemous. The crowds called him Beelzebub, Satan. The crowds always were stirred up to crucify him. And Jesus spent his lifetime in the ministry getting away from crowds where men in pulpits today build to get crowds. When Jesus preached, you all would have probably left and so would I. We wouldn't like the truth that he was leveling to each and every one of us. But when men preach, we want to pull them in. Now, why is that? Why would people walk away from Jesus Christ, the most loving God ever? Why would they walk away from Jesus Christ? Surely he is the best communicator. Surely he's effectively filled the Holy Spirit of God. Surely they would listen to the Son of God. But did they? No. No. They did not. And at times in your life, you will not. You will justify everything but to get into the will and the spirit of God. Very rarely does any woman or man empty themselves out of everything that this earth offers to follow Christ. Oh, we've justified everything in the kitchen sink of why we do what we do because we listen to bad advice. We follow the wrong crowd. Number three, we rely on circumstances. What do I mean? Verse 13, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. They thought it was a nice day for sailing. Paul said, don't do it. Don't do it. Yo, 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 don't do it. All right, I paraphrased the yo, yo, yo. But they went anyway. What will be the results of that? What can they learn from this? What's God going to teach through your storm and your experience? What does God want you to learn from this storm? 2 Corinthians 4 has one of the answers. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our pretense troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not seen. For the troubles we will see will soon be over, but the joys that will come in Christ will last forevermore. Troubles are temporary. Paul was saying that the problems you have in your life are not going to last forever, but they allow you to build up rewards in glory. Folks, God don't care how much money's in your bank account. God don't care how much you go out and sell what you sell or do what you do, but I'll tell you what he does care about. What did you do with my son? 
What did you do with the time, the talents, and the treasures that I gave you? What did you do with the time, the talents, and treasures that I put in your family? What did you do with those resources that I gave you? What did you do with that company I gave you? What did you do with the finances? What did you do? Did you visit anybody when they were sick? Is it all about you? I mean, I don't know, but that's something that we have to give an account at the Bema seat, not the great white throne. At the Bema seat, we're going to reconcile all those things in our mind that we think that we've done for Jesus. And eyes of fire are going to look at them. And I promise you, what you think you're dragging into that throne room, by the time God looks at them, if they're done for the wrong reason, you'll walk in there with a little sack lunch of what you really did for Jesus. Storms are coming. How are you going to handle it? This is the Future Family Series. What are you teaching your children of how you handle the storms of life? What do you model? Fear? Do they see you wringing your hands at the kitchen table over bills? Do they see you bellyaching, moaning because you're just mad at the world and mad at your situation and mad at God? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, God owes you nothing. Nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. How was that, Rebecca? Anything. She's an English major. But I and you owe him everything the one that died for you the one that became my sin the one that loves you and forgives you every sin past present and future I can see if a God loves me for what I did yesterday and I might repent but this same God loves me knowing what I'm going to do in the future heck I don't know what I'm going to do in the future but he still chooses to love us And that's what we are to do, to love one another. Be tender-hearted toward one another. Stop judging one another. See, just because that person you're upset about sins differently than you do doesn't make you any better than them. Oh, it's easy to point out sins of a smoker. You can see it. You can smell it. But it's hard to find the sins of a gambler. Oh, it's hard to see the sins of those people that are hung up on pornography. Oh, it's hard to see that. I mean, somebody that might be overweight and the sin of gluttony, which you don't ever hear from pulpits, we don't ever talk about that. And gluttony is a sin. You should balance every area of your life. If you eat because you are fearful or you're anxious, then you're not going to God for those fears. You're just medicating with food. It's comforting. Heck, I'd do it. I'm going to do it after we leave here today. What should you do? I'm going to tell you. Don't drift in the storm.
Don't drift in your storm. Verse 15, and when the ship was caught and was unable to head against the wind, we gave up. And letting her drift, we bore along. So we gave way to it and were driven along. Folks, nothing good comes out of your spiritual drifting. Listen, listen, and I'm done. If you think you can wing it, that's drifting. If you're just going to say heck with it and quit and give up, that's spiritual drifting. If you're going to say, well, let somebody else handle, if you're not going to go out and vote in the election, that's drifting. As a patriot and American, your civic duty, God placed you in these United States of America. This is my country. This is where I live. This is my backyard. It's still the home of the brave and the land of the free. This is my house. I mean, I might be a steward over it. And that's how I feel. And I'll vote. And I might not have to vote much from in that regard, but I'm still going to vote. And I'm going to tell you something. Go back and look at Winston Churchill. He wasn't the best of characters, but he was what they needed during that time. Now you have your opinion of what's needed. And no matter what, you'll do what I believe your conscience tells you to do. But when it comes to Christianity, hey, where are you? Here's what God said. Don't throw things away that you need to survive on. They threw cargo overboard. Don't throw things away that you need to survive on. They're out in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean. It's been 14 days. Listen, 14 days they were out there. They hadn't eaten. How long's your storm? What are you throwing away? You throw your Bible away? You throw Christianity away? You throw the church away? You throw it away? Listen, the wise people are the ones that will come and say, Pastor, pray over me. Church, pray over me. I need all the prayers I can get. Pray. Give me some scriptures. Help me to post something that will get me through this storm. Let me stand on the word of God. Let me be right with God. Let me finish this life well. To hear the words of my father, well done, thou good and faithful sister. Well done, thou good and faithful son. Do you live and long to hear those words? Because that is what motivates you to keep going and driving. And God says, listen, in the midst of all of that, stay with the ship. They tell you that all the time. If you crash, stay with the wreckage. If your boat's capsized, stay with the ship. Why? Paul told the centurion and soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ships and lifeboats, and they let them finally, listen, finally they listened to godly advice. That's what's going to happen in these United States of America. God has been trying to speak. God has had the watchman on the wall. God has been crying out the top of his lungs, repent, America, repent, repent, repent. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. 
And revival begins in the church. Revival begins in the house of God. Revival begins with you and me. That's where it all begins. You're either in that or you're not. You might be drifting, but God is listening to your thoughts. God is here because the Bible says, if two or more gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. So you cannot say to me that God's not here. Now, you may not let him in your pew. And you may be going like this. Because there's a lot of this right now spiritually going on. La, 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 la. Hey, you know who's going to get me home? The faithful shepherd. I don't care what we face. My faith is intact. I'm ready. I'm armored up. And I'm ready to face whatever we have to face. This is our finest hour. Will you prove faithful? Will you stand with Christ? Will you make the difference as a leader in your family? Will you choose morality over the rest of the world that's caving away. Stay with the ship. It's always easier to cop out than it is to stand firm. It's always easier to quit. Don't quit your marriage. It's always easier to get a divorce. You can get them for 75 bucks now and you can do it online. They've cheapened everything of value that God holds faithful and true. They've cheapened marriage. They redefined it. They've cheapened the life of the unborn. They cheapen everything that God said is and holds very dear to his heart. And we're complying with it because we're more self-centered and concerned about our houses, our cars, our money. Will we survive? My friend, don't lose hope. You see, they had 14 days of total darkness on those seas. And when they listened to God, they landed. No matter what storm you face, if you will listen to the voice of truth, the voice of God, listen, do what God is asking you to do. He doesn't care. Guys, we are consumed. Look, man, God don't care who wins the Super Bowl or the MLB, he's not, he loves his kids no matter what they do. But in the end, it's about one thing. What are you doing with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? If God leads you to stand in there and fight for your family, girl, then you stay in there and you fight. You don't listen to people. You'll find opinions. They all stink and everybody's got one. But you stand on God's word. Do you need help? Do you have a disease? Are you battling health issues? What is the storm? You got an exam coming up on your test? You don't think God cares about exams? Trust me, I know he does. That's how I got religious. It might have been the only time I talked to God when I was having a math test. Or when troubles hit. I didn't even know God. I was praying for a state championship as a senior in high school. I didn't, I, I didn't know. Accept where you are today, please. Face the reality of the problems that you're facing today, please. 
and stand on the promises of God. So, are you battered by the storm? Are you ready to quit? You want to know what the common denominator is? Somebody who hungers and thirsts after God. Not fair weather Christians. There are a dime a dozen, y'all. There are millions that will stand before God and claim to be Christians and Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know who you are. Do you know him? And if you do know him, praise him. And if you do know him and you're praising him, pray for someone next to you. And if you do know him and praise him and are praying for someone next to you, ask him to use you this week to change and impact the world. Paul prayed without ceasing. Good times are bad. If God loves me, why the storm? Because he trusts you to live for him through it. You see, he's counting on you. The enemy's desire to sift you. Satan has said, let me put this in their life. They'll quit you. They'll quit you, God. Let me attack their health. They'll quit you. Let me attack their marriage. I'll make them quit. Let me take away their finances. They won't praise you. You're the God of blessing. They just want you to bless them. And I will tell you something about our faithful God. Every time that you have prayed, God has answered and came through for you. I can't begin to tell you the number of people that pray that God will get blessed and all these things and then they never show up. You know what it's like? Ten lepers were healed and only one came back to say thank you. I can't begin to tell you the number of Christians through the years that I've prayed with that have never ever come back to thank God. Just doesn't happen. About the time that, you know, you think about life storms, I, 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 I just want to give you this. And I'm going to ask our, our lay teams if they'll come forward. Excuse me while I sit for a second. Do you remember we sang, Good, Good Father? Sherry sang it. And, and this church loves that song. It's a good, good father. I want to share this story with you. It's a story of love. It's a story of a father's love. Listen, some of you are ready to get out of here. And my heart breaks because of that. This might not be for you. This might be for somebody else in this room. But if it's not for you, then as a faithful steward, intercede and pray. In 1989, an 8.2 earthquake almost flattened Armenia, killing over 30,000 people in less than four minutes. Listen, four minutes, their lives were changed. Four minutes, 30,000 people were dead. No warning, no sign, 30,000 people. 3,000 at the World Trade Center. Your life is but a vapor. You don't understand how fragile it really is. In the midst of the utter devastation and chaos, a father left his wife securely at home and rushed to the school where his son was supposed to be, only to discover that the building was flat as a pancake. 
After the traumatic initial shock, he remembered the promise that he had made to his son, no matter what, I will always be there for you, son. And tears began to fill his eyes. And he looked at the pile of debris that once was the school, and it looked hopeless, but he kept remembering that his commitment that he made to his son. He began to concentrate on where he walked his son to the classroom and where he was each day at that school and that morning, remembering his son's classrooms would be in the back right corner of the building. He rushed there and started digging through the piles of rubble with his bare hands. As he was digging, other forlorn parents arrived, clutching their hearts and saying, my son, my son, my daughter, my daughter, and other well-meaning parents tried to pull him off of that pile that was left there. And they said, it's too late. They're dead. You can't help them. Go home. Come on, face reality. There's nothing else you can do. You're just going to make things worse. To each parent, he responded with one line, are you going to help me now? And then he proceeded to dig for his son, stone by stone, pebble by pebble, dirt by dirt pile. He moved it away. The fire chief showed up and tried to pull him off of the school's debris, saying, fires are breaking out. Explosions are happening everywhere. You're in danger, sir. We'll take care of it. Go home. To which this loving, caring Arminian father said, are you going to help me now? The police came and said, you're angry and you're distraught. You're endangering others. Go home now. We command you. We order it. To which he replied, are you going to help me now? Courageously, he proceeded alone because he needed to know for himself, is my boy alive or dead? He dug for eight hours, 12 hours. 36 hours the 48th hour he heard a voice under the pile of rubble he pulled back the last boulder and heard his son's voice Armand Armand and he heard back dad dad I told the kids not to worry I told them that if you were alive You'd save me. And when you'd save me, Dad, you'd save them. You promised, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. You did it, Dad. I told him you were coming. Armand, what's going on? Who's in there? Dad, there's 14 of us left out of 33. And Dad, we're scared and we're hungry and we're thirsty. But we're thankful that you're here. When the building collapsed, it made a wedge like a triangle and it saved us. Grab my hand, Armand. Come on out, boy. Come on out. No, Dad. No. Let the other kids come out first because I know you'll get me. No matter what, I know you'll be there for me. Deuteronomy 31 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or afraid because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
how much more do you think you can love your children and how much more does a holy God love you? You who are sinful and fallen, you who were once lost, alienated, depraved, how much more can God love you? That's what Papa God wants to know today. Do you love me? Because boy, child, I sure do love you.